Wow, we got some funny kids, funny dads in our church. Hey, great, great, great job on the announcements. Uh, really good job. And uh, yeah, let's hear it for our announcement people. <laughs> Gabe, even you did pretty good. All right. We're in the seventh and final week of our series, Growing Pains, which has been all about growing up, which, as we've discussed, is widely considered a good and desirable thing, you know, growing up, despite the fact that many of us apparently decide not to do it. Growing up is something we all want our kids to do, something we really all, all want and expect other people to do, and yet we really never get around to completely growing up ourselves. Uh, we want other people to take responsibility for themselves, you know, for their actions, for their behaviors, attitudes, and choices. We want and expect other people to be self-controlled, to learn how to share with others, especially, you know, with, with us. And we, we, we want to and expect other people to be patient, to, to not be crank, cranky when we don't get our way. We want and expect other people to have all these qualities and characteristics that come from having grown up, but, but we tend to give ourselves a pass, maybe not in every area, but in certain areas and in, on certain occasions. Isn't that true? And this is really important for us to come to terms with, especially once we've moved into adulthood and become parents ourselves, because we really can't help our kids grow up if we've never finished growing up ourselves. But that's not the only reason we should all want to grow up. Growing up is all about fully becoming the person you were created to be, fully becoming you. And you will never live with that sense of joy and contentment, that sense of confidence and security, that sense of peace and contentment that God intended for you to live with until you are fully you. There will always be a sense of something lacking in your life. Uh, 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 something will always be missing. You will sense that life is incomplete, somewhat un unfulfilling. And, and you will be uncertain about who you really are. Uh, you, will, you will not be living out your true identity, which can result in your seeking your identity in other, other things, in other places, in your career, in your abilities, or in your accomplishments, or your appearance. Some tragically even decide to let their appetites and their desires determine or dictate their identity, which is a recipe for disaster, and, and which we've talked about in depth in previous weeks in this series. But God, your Heavenly Father, your Creator, holds the key to your identity, to who you really are, and you will never fully discover your identity. You will never grow into the person you were created to be apart from Him. And to seek your identity apart from Him only leaves you with a distorted, twisted, and I realize this is a strong word, but it's an accurate one, a, a perverted version of you, of your identity. God in his love, grace, and mercy is committed to you fully becoming the you you were created to be, the you he created you to be. He is committed to completing the masterpiece that he envisioned when he thought you up. We may want to be content with good enough. We may want to be okay with just being okay, but not God. God loves you way too much to leave you unfinished and incomplete and underdeveloped and therefore unfulfilled. Which is why Jesus said this, you must be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
He wasn't being unreasonably demanding when he said this, as some people think. What he was saying was, this is my commitment to you. You may want something less for yourself, but I will settle for nothing less for you. Trust me. I will get you there, but you got to trust me. Don't even trust yourself. Trust in me. And I know that that can seem a bit overwhelming, a bit intimidating, which is why we so quickly settle for good enough and decide just to settle into our immaturity and our dysfunctional thinking, our imperfections, our faults, weaknesses, our, our habits and addictions, our, our dysfunctional behavior, unloving and destructive words and actions. We sometimes just decide it's too hard to grow up, too much trouble, maybe too painful, especially as we get older, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm just, I just am who I am. Nobody's perfect. Don't ask me to change. Don't ask me to grow. I'm just me. Take it or leave it. God says, I'll take it, but I ain't going to leave it. See, I love you just the way you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way. The Apostle Paul, these are a couple of verses that we looked at uh, throughout our series. The Apostle Paul says, I am certain that God, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it is finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. He said, you must let endurance have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's goal for you is to be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. And endurance is what brings that about. Now, today is Father's Day, and fathers deserve great honor. And in fact, if you're a father today, would you please stand so we can honor you with our applause? All the fathers in the room, please stand up. <laughs> fathers deserve a lot of honor. Fathers play an indispensable, vital, critical role in our lives. And of course, I'm talking about much, much more than mere conception. As necessary as that is, I'm talking about a role infinitely more crucial than that. But as many of you are painfully aware, sadly, not all fathers deserve great honor. It's just the reality. For some of you, this is a difficult day, Father's Day, because it may... It may be a reminder of, of the very strange relationship you have or maybe have had with your father. Some of you had fathers who were not very loving or who were not very present or maybe who were present for a while but then left, walked out. Perhaps some of you had a father who was outright abusive and cruel. You know, we all know there are no perfect fathers, but, but some fathers just gave up. They just, they just quit trying. They stopped growing. They couldn't handle the growing pains, so they just gave up on the journey altogether and checked out. Listen, first of all, right now, if you feel like I'm maybe describing you as a father, my point today isn't to judge or condemn you or to heap guilt and shame upon you. Please, please know that. I'm glad you're here. You are loved here, and, and there is grace and mercy for you here, a new beginning, 
Uh, and if you had a father like that, my intention today isn't to stir up painful memories. I'm glad you are here today on Father's Day. And my prayer for you would be that today would be a day perhaps of healing and encouragement, maybe comfort for you. Listen, most of us dads here today, we wish we had been better dads. And in fact, I'm guessing that's pretty much all of us wish we could be better dads. I think we all recognize we've made mistakes and wish we could be better fathers. But some of you maybe did just give up. Maybe you just did it somewhere along the way. You just walked away. And there may be some who listening to me today who, who fully recognize that, that, yeah, that they were perhaps abusive and cruel as a father. Let me, let me again just point out, to just say today that my point is, is not to condemn you or to heap guilt on you, but, but to rather encourage you uh, that no matter what your circumstances or, or status may presently be as a father, if you're still living and breathing, it is not too late for you to reserve, resume the journey of growing and changing and becoming a better man, of growing up with God as your helper and guide. He wants to do that for you. Chances are, chances are, and, and this is not to excuse or, or to minimize your poor choices and actions as a father, but chances are your own dad was probably not a very loving dad or, or very present or walked out in your family or was abusive or cruel. We know statistically that there is a link there. If your father was not a very good father, it puts you at a significant disadvantage in becoming a good father yourself. Fatherhood is a powerful, powerful thing. Statistically, sociologists have been telling us for some time now, and the more data that comes in, the more we are finding it to be true that fatherhood has a profound powerful impact for better or worse on society so much so that children who grow up in a home without a father are far more likely to commit crime they're far more likely to spend time in prison they're far more likely to to abuse drugs and alcohol they are two times more likely to drop out of school seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager four times more likely to to experience poverty all simply for lack of the presence of a father in the home not necessarily even a good father just the presence of a father Dads, you have no idea the power, the impact on your children of you just simply not giving up and staying in there, of you just, just being there, being present. You say, but Pastor Jim, come on, Pastor Jim, certainly you're not advising people to stay in a marriage that might be a living hell. Listen, newsflash. When two immature people get married... That is often what you wind up with, okay? A living hell. But ending, listen to me carefully, ending the marriage doesn't end the hell like you think it should or think it might. No, when you split up, all you're doing is cellular division. You've multiplied the hell, created a whole new living hell for your kids, and each carried a variant of it into your next relationship. Well, then what do you suggest? Well, I suggest, listen, listen, from a heart of love and compassion, of care for you, I suggest this, grow up. Grow up. You make the decision to grow up. This is what our life and existence in this world is all about. You don't have to live in hell. You don't. When you grow up, what you do is you grow up toward heaven. See, hell is down, heaven is up. We all learned this in preschool. When you grow up, you are growing toward 
heaven. That's what marriage is perfectly designed to do, to help us grow up. Life itself is designed to do that, but marriage and relationships especially so, because marriage is when you learn what real love is. It's where you learn patience and forgiveness and, and how to make someone, someone happy other than yourself. And, and how to not try to control the other person, but rather, as Paul said, to make room for someone's faults and weaknesses. It's where you learn to live out those things that Jesus taught us about denying yourself and laying down your life and being the servant of others, all of which is the essence of the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's where you learn how to stay committed to each other even in difficult trying times and you figure out how to love and appreciate this person that for reasons you can no longer remember at the moment you fell in love with so long ago. This is what marriage is. This is what life itself is. See, we are called by God because we created the hell in the first place by putting our own selfish desires before God, by seeking to satisfy our own desires outside of God's will and design, we created the hell. So now God calls us, us living in this hellish place called planet Earth, he calls us to plant seeds of heaven in the midst of hell, to plant, water, fertilize, cultivate the seeds of heaven in the middle of hell. The disciples asked Jesus to teach in the prayer, and Jesus gave them a, a prayer as a template, a prayer that has become very famous called the Lord's Prayer. And one of the key lines in that prayer is, your kingdom come, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's God's heart for the human race, that his will would be done on earth just as his will is done in heaven. The reality of heaven would one day become reality for planet earth. And how does God God intend for that to happen? Marriage. Marriage and parenting and relationship and community, but, but marriage in particular is very central, fundamental, foundational. It's the foundational way that God intends for this to happen to, for the vast majority of it. And it's really not that difficult to see. Two fallen, imperfect, sinful, annoying people in great need of patience and forgiveness, compassion and kindness, learning little by little, day by day, what it means to truly love somebody. Not, be not because they're hot, you know, and, and sexy and really just rock our world, you know, and turn us on, make us feel, you know, however. No, that's not love. That, that's actually, really, be honest, it's selfishness. It's like, you know, when your cat comes and rubs himself, your cat comes and rubs himself on your leg, and you think, oh, look at how my cat loves me. <laughs> your cat's not loving you. He's using your leg to love himself. He's using, he's using your leg as a scratch, he, he, because your leg has got slightly better texture than the end table. That's all that that's about right there. See, this world tells you that love is supposed to be easy, and if it doesn't make you feel good, it's not love. You know what? God tells you the exact opposite of that. If love doesn't cost you, if it doesn't involve pain and sacrifice, it's not love. And he didn't just tell us that. He demonstrated it in person by becoming a human being in the flesh, entering into the hell we created to rescue us, even though we were far from him. That God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Paul says in his letter to the Romans. 
while we were still far from him, while we were still rejecting him, while we were still immature and selfish and annoying, he loved us so much he laid down his life for us. But, you know, Christians talk about this all the time. And, and I fully realize that most of our culture, culture still remains very skeptical about this, that, you know, that love is worth it even when it's hard and painful. They remain skeptical. So an experiment is necessary, an experiment that God set up in the Garden of Eden, but that is being replayed over and over and over again by humanity around the world. Here's the experiment. Go ahead. Seek your own happiness first. Go ahead. Seek and pursue your own fulfillment above all. Seek to be in control, seek power, seek pleasure and self-fulfillment, seek to be first, to be on top, to be whatever you imagine yourself to be and do whatever you imagine yourself doing. Go ahead and create a world where everyone lives like that and what do you wind up with? Hell. People using and exploiting one another, deceiving and cheating one another, breaking promises without remorse, abuse, corruption, all kinds of evil, absolute hell, the kind of like what we are seeing more and more in the world we live in today. But seek the happiness of others first. Pursue the fulfillment and security of someone other than yourself. Seek to let go of control, to give away power, to be last. Seek to be the servant of all. Seek, seek not self-actualization, but self-denial, as Jesus taught and lived. Create a world where everyone lives that way, and what do you have? Absolute heaven. Everything the human heart truly desires, and everything that results in human flourishing. Create a marriage where two people are learning to live that way, to seek not their own happiness, not their own desires, but the happiness of their spouse and the happiness and welfare of their children. And what do you have? You have heaven, bliss, genuine happiness, security, real love. Thing is, we all want to marry somebody like that. We all want to marry somebody who lives that way, but we don't want to be somebody that lives that way. Listen, a happy marriage is not, is not a matter of chemistry and emotion and feeling, but simply a matter of choice. You, if you, and if you are a follower of Jesus, it's a journey you are called to make, a journey you must decide to take, a road you must decide to follow daily and not give up and not turn back. Jesus said to his disciples, if anybody wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you are trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The words of Jesus. Now, a, a dis disclaimer. There, there is a time and a situation when for your sake and the sake of your children, you must end a marriage. Um, primarily when there's ongoing material threat, you know, danger to yourself and your kids. It's exceedingly rare, but yes, there are situations where a spouse is, is really so evil and abusive and unrepentant that despite the extreme risks and disadvantages you and your children face without a dad or a mom figure, it's even more dangerous to stay in that relationship. Sadly, that is a reality. Thankfully, very rare, but, but still a reality. But listen, when God is at the center of your life and being, when, when you are looking 
to him for direction, when you are inviting him into your marriage, into your relationship, when you're looking to God for wisdom and strength, everything that you suffer, even those tragedies, become an avenue through which God grows you up and perfects you and completes you, including perhaps especially in the context of difficult marriages and difficult relationships. Lo loving someone who is very difficult to love is an accelerated learning course. It, it is a fast track to growing up, to becoming a patient, compassionate, wise, joy-filled, peace-possessing, possessing, confident, secure child of God. T don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Listen, here is Jesus on this topic in his own words. Haven't you read that at the beginning of, cre of the creation, God made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, now listen here, therefore, what God has joined together. Jesus says that when you get married, God has joined you together. It was God that joined you together, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's Jesus in his own words. Now, why are we talking about this on Father's Day? Well, one, I hope one of the things that, uh, that you fathers take home with you from today's message is, is this, that you don't have to be a superhero. You, you really don't. You just need to stay in there. You just need to keep growing and not give up. You aren't perfect. Nobody is. But God is perfecting you as you stay in there, as you stay committed, committed to your wife and to your kids, and most importantly, to God, who is your source and strength, your inspiration, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, your Father who will never give up on you or walk away from you. Listen, Dad, you have no idea. Only eternity will tell the awesome, glorious impact you have had on your kids simply by being there, by being in their lives and by staying committed to your wife and to your family. You've heard me say it many times. The best thing you can do for your kids, by far, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love your wife, love and honor your wife, cherish her, Learn how to truly love and honor her. And it is something you must learn. Guys, this is not automatic for us. This is not natural for us. Newsflash, men and women are very, very different, which is by design. I remember when that book came out, Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus, and I thought, yes, kind of like that sometimes. Yeah, good analogy. But then the longer I was married, I started to realize <laughs> that's way off. <laughs> Those two planets are in the same solar system. <laughs> Listen, God made us very, very different. And he did that on purpose. Men and women were created to complement each other, which means we need each other. And our children need what, need what, what each of us uniquely brings to the family. We are incomplete without each other, and that's by design. And that's not to say, listen, it's not to say if you're single, you're not a whole person, not at all. The Apostle Paul was very clear about this in his, in his letters to the Christians living in Corinth in the first century. Some people are called to celibacy. Jesus was called to celibacy. Paul was called, 
in, in others. Apparently, Gabe Hollis was called to celibacy, uh, it would seem. Um, you know, Paul considered celibacy again. I'm supposed to be funny. Sorry, no, I'm not digging it, Gabe. Um, he, he's back there laughing at me. Okay, anyway. Um, but Paul considered celibacy a, a, a gift, uh, but a gift not extended to everyone. Some married people consider celibacy a gift and want to put their names on the, on the gift list. But Jesus is clear. If you've entered into a marriage covenant, it is not a gift God has extended to you. And while some are extended the gift of celibacy, God's purpose and design for the vast majority of us is marriage and family. And it is in that context that God shapes us and forms us completes and perfects us. It's in that context that he grows us up. And, he, and he's very clear in his, in his instructions not to bail on this process, on this journey. So uh, I'm titling this message, the last message in our series, uh, Growing Pains, I'm titling it The Secret. And so what's the big secret? In fact, if you read the email we sent out on Thursday, we included a little teaser. And then let me just read you the teaser. It said, if you haven't noticed by now, life is something you often just aren't prepared for. It's something we almost grow into either clumsily or graciously. Fatherhood is one of those things. As important as this responsibility is, no one is ever truly ready to be a dad despite the iconic mug. And I uh, cleverly included a little link to, you know, the, to buy you know, the mugs, the greatest dad ever mug, the world's best dad. I saw one that said, uh, Dad, you are one of my favorite parents. I thought it was kind of fun. Uh, anyway, the, the, the little teaser goes on. But growing into such seasons of life does not have to be painful or awkward and can actually be a joy-filled, fulfilling journey. Join us this Sunday as we, re as we reveal the secret. So what is the secret? Well, here it is. Are you ready for the secret? And this is a secret not just to growing uh, on the topic of, you know, fatherhood, but, but for growing up in all areas of life. Here it is. If you don't give up, God will show up and you will grow up. That's it. That's the secret. If you don't give up, God will show up and you will grow up. I was actually very excitedly working on something much more theologically deep and profound, a message from Deuteronomy based on God's name, Yahweh, and how when we're very young, you know, we don't even realize that our dad has a name other than daddy, you know, and, but God actually has a name, and in Deuteronomy 34, 6, he explains what his name means, and all this kind of stuff, very theologically dip, uh, deep and rich and profound. But God kept steering me back this direction for some reason. He kept steering me back to just this very simple idea. Dad's Listen, if you don't give up, God will show up, and you will grow up. You will grow up. You will grow toward heaven. And the seeds of heaven you plant and cultivate and water and fertilize in your marriage and in your family, they will grow up and bear fruit, and you will reap a heavenly harvest. But you must stay in there and cultivate those seeds, and God will help you. He has promised to help you. He has promised that you will receive this harvest. It will not always be like it is perhaps today. He, he has heavenly rewards waiting for you. So that's it. That's the secret. And the reality is, and many of you know this from firsthand experience, that as soon as you make the choice that you're not going to give up, 
and you're going to stay in there and keep growing, as soon as you make that choice, there is actually an immediate change that happens, both in here, in you, you know, as well as in your wife and in your whole family. When you decisively close the door on other options and just say, nope, I, I know this, you know, I, I'm, I'm closing the door. I am going to stay in there. When, we, when you make that decision, a switch is flipped. And suddenly, contentment and peace spring up. Maybe not in abundance, but there is a sense of peace and contentment because you've changed your orientation away from those things that seem to offer more freedom, but in reality only keep you from growing into the person that God has, has, has called you to be. You've, you've changed your orientation away from things that will keep you from that toward your God-assigned identity, your God-assigned destiny which ultimately is heaven. Things may be difficult and challenging right now. Don't give up. It gets better. God is at work, and he's an expert at taking what seems like hopeless, completely hopeless situations and creating truly glorious endings. If he does anything well, he does that. See, without God, we seem to have a pretty good knack at taking difficult situations and turning them into completely hopeless situations. But when you invite God into the equation... Submit it all to him and hang in there. Well, God can even turn crucifixions into resurrections. So a couple verses here to conclude our series, conclude the message today in our series. So let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. And the letter and the writer of the letter of Hebrews says, don't become so spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, follow the example of those who, through faith and patience, inherit what God has promised. You will inherit what God has promised, but you will inherit it through faith and patience. If you don't give up, God will show up, and you'll grow up, and I promise you, heaven will spring up. I want the worship team, why don't you guys come on back? One of the questions routinely asked in, in, in a lot of our smaller gatherings at Hope, you know, like a small group or, or you know, the, uh, uh, those newcomers, desserts and things, orientation, we always ask some get-to-know-you kind of questions. And one of those questions is, what is the happiest day of your life? And, and many of you know my response what it routinely is, it's, it's the day our son was born. I know that's a common response among a lot of people to this question. Another common response is, you know, uh, our wedding day. Well, I want to share with you another one of the happiest days of my life. I need to preface this by telling you that I have the greatest parents in the world. I really do. Um, they've been married for 68 years. Uh, they are both in their late 80s, and I could not have hoped for more awesome parents. But my parents went through a pretty rough spot in their marriage. I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. I was in the middle of, of middle child of five kids. And I remember very clearly the day my mom broke the news to me that my dad was going to be getting his own apartment for a while. <clears throat> that was a very sad day. But an even sadder day came just a 
little while longer, a little, little while after that, where she told me that her and dad were getting a divorce. It was as if the world suddenly stopped turning. I mean, we had a close family. My, me and my four siblings, my parents, we all went camping together, fishing together, trick-or-treating together. We went to the beach together, took cross-country trips in a station wagon together. We, we, us kids would put on variety shows for my mom and dad. I loved my family, and in fact, I even liked my family. I mean, sure, we fought like every other family, but, but we loved each other, and we enjoyed life together. And now, all of a sudden, I am being told our family is breaking up. That was a very, very sad day. My mom and I shared some tears that day, which she did other, four other times with each one of my siblings. She had decided to tell us each separately. And I just remember praying at 10 or 11 years old, God, please don't let my family break up. And then one day, sometime later, one day my mom said to me, I have a surprise for you when you get home from school today. And I honestly couldn't figure out what, I couldn't think of what she might be talking about, what this surprise might be. I ran home from school that day and ran into the house, and there in the hallway were some suitcases. And uh, still didn't dawn on me. I was still, you know, I was thinking, what, now, you, Mom, you're moving out too? What's going on here? But my mom said with a big grin, she said, see those suitcases? And I said, yeah. She said, those are your dad's. Your dad's come home happiest day of my life. And that was, you know, 50, 30-something years ago. That was many years ago. And uh, the, the emotion of that is still very fresh. Happiest day of my life. Next to, next to, of course, the day our son was born. But I shudder to think what I would have lost during the rest of my growing up years had my dad not been a permanent presence in my house. I mean, for one thing, I wouldn't have to my two younger siblings who were born after that event, two, two people who have literally touched countless lives in profound ways, including and perhaps especially me. It, it was the most powerful decision the two of them ever made, and it had such a profound effect on the future of so many I cannot imagine what my life would have been like or the lives of so many others today had they not made that choice. There are so many reasons, listen, there's so many reasons to fight for your marriage and for your family. So many reasons to say, one more time I will forgive. One more time I will love. I will have a conversation. I will work and I will not give up. And I pray that you would do it today and do that this week and keep doing it, keep doing it. Yes, growing up involves pain. There's no way around it. But deciding not to grow up leads to so much greater pain, not just for you, but to untold numbers of people. Choose wisely. Let's pray. God, you are a continual source of hope and for that, we are most grateful. And I pray that each one of us this morning, as we leave this church and leave this place, that between now and next week, we will hang on to that hope. 
that you will give us a picture of what our marriages and families can be, that they would be places of stability for our children and great depth and joy and, and companionship for us, and that we would also have moments, God, where we understand, come to the realization, the delight and love that you have for us because of the relationship we have in marriage. I pray that for those that are struggling in their marriage, God, would you just give them eyes to see. Give them eyes to see that there is so much promise, so much glory, so much heaven waiting for them if they will simply endure, if they will simply not give up on each other and on their family. I also pray for the singles in this room, God, that they would make wise choices, wise decisions, and that Hope Community Church would be a place where both singles and married people are healed and where they grow together in deep love. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.